Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. I remember looking forward to the various weekend shows on television featuring muscle cars, awesome new technology, and lots of horsepower. In fact, aside from pure necessity, one of the reasons I started working on cars is to learn how to modify them for more performance. But what does owning a performance shop actually look like? Is it what's being portrayed on television in years past or on YouTube today? To answer that question, we're joined by Mike Molesky, the owner of PSK Auto Repair in White Oak, Pennsylvania. Mike reveals the true nature of the automotive performance scene. But before we begin, if you're an automotive industry professional or a shop owner yourself, then you are in the right place. This is a podcast created by shop owners for shop owners and those seeking out their perspective. We have frank and open conversations like the very one you're about to listen to, where we discuss the struggles and challenges we have every single day and what we're trying to do about it. So if you like this content, we greatly appreciate a subscription on your favorite podcast listening app. If you're catching us on YouTube, hit that like button and subscribe to the channel so you never miss an upload. Now, with all that out of the way, here we go. Mike, it is really good to talk to you. I'm really happy this time you're not like on the edge of death. I think that's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, Mike was sitting in front of me in a vision class, and I thought the dude was going to die from the flu right there while I watched. So um, definitely glad you feel better. That's that's pretty awesome. How you doing tonight? I'm doing well, sir. I feel much better. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I had COVID before COVID existed. dude i'm telling you i have never seen somebody look as rough as you looked that day no offense no offense did you ever get tested for antibodies (laughs) no no i haven't this was year before last so oh was it like yeah 19 oh 
So we ha- we have a friend, a mutual friend, who uh, he got sicker than a dog in I think it was January, and and maybe it may have been December. I, I don't remember, but I mean he was like out for a week and a half, and so he and this and they had no this was in March because they had just we had just gotten back from Vision, and he's he's crazy sick, and he, they had just rolled out COVID testing, and he goes and gets it gets tested. Or, or he kept showing up and they're like, no, no, we don't have any tests. So you, you can't get tested. So he goes in and he, he, he keeps going back and checking. He's like, man, I am really, really sick. I think I have this. Can you guys check me? And he ended up infecting his entire family. And oh, man. They, they, they kept telling him we don't have any tests. Well, they finally test him and he tests negative. And he's like, man, I know I had this. Um, so they roll out antibody testing. And he goes and gets that. And he was through the roof. He had had it at some point. And so he's hella immune now. <laughs> but they, he, couldn't, he couldn't say anything. He couldn't prove that he was sick. But he, he, was, he was down and out for a week and a half or two weeks or something like that. So, Man, knock on wood. Yep. Ain't had it. I'm feeling pretty good about things right now. Let's just keep it that way. Um, you know, David. It can go either way. My brother-in-law had it, had no idea. He got yeah. tested twice because the first time he's like, you guys are nuts. I don't have it. So he goes to a completely different area, completely different state and gets tested again. And they're like, yeah, you have it. He's like, okay, well, I guess I have it. I guess I have to quarantine for two weeks. But he had no symptoms, nothing. Man, that's crazy. You know, I, our accountant went through a very similar thing. He uh, he tested positive and, and didn't have any symptoms whatsoever. So, you know. Who knows? Who knows yeah. how the cookies crumble? Um, so, Mike, you'll find that we're not very formal um, ever. And and like <laughs> you didn't already know that. But uh, in all seriousness, David has brought you here tonight to talk about the evil shop of auto repair shops, the performance shop. Um, it's now, the petulant teenager of auto repair, <laughs> the, the performance shop. Well, and, and look, so I've got a little bit of background in performance as well. I, I started in performance. We were working on diesel trucks and that was kind of where we got our start. And, um, you know, we saw some things happen in the market that really kind of tanked that market in a lot of ways. And I said, you know what, let's work on cars. And, um, I personally have found it to be a much more pleasurable experience. Um, Mike, share your thoughts. Let's hear what that you was got. Creepy how you said that, Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's it, listen. Anytime you're in the room, David, it's just it. It's how it comes out. <laughs> oh my! Well, <laughs> <laughs> they never know what they sign up for. They're like, "Oh, sure, I'll do the podcast." <laughs> yeah, this is this guy's really professional. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave that in. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. Sorry. No worries. No worries. So uh, do, you, the, do you work on, on anything or just, you, you seem to do high-end German, Audi? Yes, correct. Yeah. So uh, in the performance world, it is probably more beneficial to have a specialty niche market um, because of the types of tools and training required for some of these things, if you can, if you work on every single vehicle, you're, you're going to have a bad time with all the tools and programming and software required and subscriptions, what have you. So if you have a niche market, 
uh, that is profitable for you, then stick with it. For us, it was Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche, Prada. So that's what we dealt with. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. On a daily basis. When, when you say, you're talking about the, the specific performance items that you have to purchase in order to well, be a vendor? or how, I mean, how does that even work? So, I mean, it, it can go a lot of ways. So what I was talking about specifically was to even service the vehicle um, to make the modifications. Sometimes you have to make the modification and perform coding after the fact, or sometimes you need to disassemble a component that requires a special tool. So this can get really deep into the specialty of the performance vehicle you work on. You know, if Lucas specialized in diesel trucks, you know, having that heavy duty software for, for some of the deletes some of the specific uh, programming requirements for, um, you know, anything that he's doing tune tune related or any right. of the special tools for the engine, for the modification he's making. Uh, that shop has to be good. You know, you have to understand the vehicle and be able to service the vehicle basically before you can move up into modifying those components. So you have to understand the vehicle and how it operates before you, can be, before you become proficient in modifying it and making it better. Because if you don't know how it works from the factory, you're going to have a you're going to have a tough time making it any better or, or proficiently working on that vehicle to modify it. Exactly. So if you're if you're tinkering, you you shouldn't be considering doing any kind of type of performance work on on a correct. Make. You should be you should be very good at working on those vehicles before you consider making a business out of modifying them uh, on a full time basis. So Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche was what we dealt with primarily. So we had the factory software. We had all the engine tools required for those vehicles. And we also knew how the systems operated on the vehicle from circuit design to turbocharger systems to the logic of the engine computer. All those things have to be taken into consideration whenever you want to modify the car and work on it. Because to be honest, whenever you are a performance shop, those customers tend to bring those cars back to you for everything and every problem that it has because you modified it, you touched it last. So you're going to be doing a lot more than just 
putting on intakes and exhaust systems and uploading flash tunes, you do end up servicing those vehicles, especially in the high end. When people find a, a shop or a technician that they like and trust uh, to modify their high-end car, they tend to come to them for everything. Let, let, let's be real here. I think we need to we need to take the elephant, put it in the middle of the room, and shoot it. They didn't come back to you because they trust you. They came back to you because you're married to that car. Everything you touched <laughs> on it is your fault from now on, right? And 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 I, I think that's kind of my perspective. Hold on, on hold this. on, little answer is that the case? So there is there is a joke in the industry that it's always the tuner's fault. Yeah. Every time you lose a race, it's the tuner's fault. Every time you have slow track times, it's the tuner's fault. Every time your check engine light comes on, it's the tuner's fault. Yeah. He's not lying. Uh, you will have those customers where the ever since you is big with them. The force is strong with them in the ever since you. <laughs> right. Well, and, and you know, here, here was my experience, right? A, realistic expectations. And, and I, I didn't know this at the time, so maybe perhaps this was my fault. But looking back, I realized that those clients did not have realistic expectations. And it wasn't just with the truck, right, or the car, whatever it was we were working with. Many of them had an expectation of how much power it was going to make, what it was going to run like, what it was going to do. And they envisioned it in their mind of what this was going to be. Or they had this expectation of, you know, hey, I watched trucks on, you know, uh, power TV and they installed this <laughs> turbocharger and it took them 30 minutes. The show's only 30 minutes long. Why are you charging me $400 to do this? <laughs> and and they see these things. They think it's this really cool idea. They think, oh, gosh, I want my truck to be this, that or the other. And now they go and they begin to modify the truck. Well, guess what? You know, and, and, and one of the things we always explained was is. Yeah, I can tune a truck, but that doesn't bring the other components required up to snuff to handle the tuning. So now we have to be thinking about turbocharger. We have to be thinking about transmission clutch issues. We have to be thinking about fuel system, right? There's other components that have to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Now they make that repair and guess what happens? Well, now the truck's broke. Well, ever since you worked on it, now my truck's broke. Well, yeah, we talked about these other things that you needed to do, these auxiliary items that are required to accomplish what you want to accomplish, but you didn't have the money for that. So it was something that was commonly happening, but mm -hmm. they were more worried about purchasing that performance part than maintaining and keeping the vehicle in a quality and operational status. They would rather have a big set of injectors and a tune than they would put that wheel hub in the front of the truck. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? That means every single thing they do, it's about money. For me, it seemed like that crew was more money-driven and focused than they were value-focused. And for me, that just wasn't a good fit. Agreed. So I actually just had this conversation with somebody the other day. When I compare my target demographic from the performance shop versus my general auto repair shop, is one of the big things I've noticed is now I both of my shops used digital inspections and digital communication. Uh, we did everything in our power to make sure that the customer understood what we were doing, why we were doing it, and what was going to be the result. We tried, okay? Um, but my high-end clients, I found them to be, I don't want to get crucified by the public for this one, but the, uh, the more expensive the car, the cheaper the customer was. Right. You know, uh, really? at my general, yep, at my general repair shop, 
a 2010 Honda Civic comes in and I make my recommendations, it comes out to $2,000, customer considers it, talks it over with their spouse, and they call me back 10 minutes later and say, go ahead, I need it to be safe and drive my car. So I tell the person with the Audi S7 that they need $2,500 in work to repair a couple leaks because every Audi leaks from every orifice. And I get price shopped. I get attempted, uh, they attempt to barter. Uh, they want to haggle pricing. And uh, what I find is a lot of times people with the high-end cars, if they end up having, they end up being what I call car poor. Or they bought a car that was seventy, eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollars new. They buy it second, third, fourth owner, and the car is absolutely affordable in the thirty, forty thousand dollar range. But I've always said cars depreciate in value, but parts and service do not. So the cost of maintaining that vehicle ends up being too high for them, or the cost of fixing that vehicle uh, ends up being too high. Now they tend to spend the money on the modifications. But when it comes to those modifications, they want to price shop the internet. So, hey, that downpipe you want to sell me, this site sells it for cheaper. And that website is breaking the map policy and selling it at a cheaper price than they're supposed to. So small businesses fighting with the internet and mega wholesalers is right. a whole nother conversation yeah. and, and a whole nother battle with the aftermarket. And one of the many issues that you'll find in a performance oriented shop. Absolutely. And, and you know, we went through the exact same thing. There were a number of wholesalers. And what we found were is that that or what we found was is that certain manufacturers and I'm not going to call anybody out, but certain manufacturers were OK taking a big buy in from a big company and allowing them to sell their products for a little bit less or better yet, what they would do is they put this map price out there. And they'd say, hey, listen, you guys, you know, you can mark this thing up 15% GP. You'll be great. You'll make tons of money. Now, here, here's the thing. They were still selling or telling us the minimum we could sell it for was MAP. The, the big vendor was selling that same fuel pump for MAP. But guess what? That big vendor was buying it way cheaper than I was able to buy it. They had this huge buy-in, and they're they're making fifty and sixty percent GP on this part, and they're selling it online. They have no brick and mortar to support. They have nothing where they have to support this, um, this with service after the sale. So for me, that was one of my big complaints, and I think that was something we saw time and time again, um, especially in the diesel world. And then you really saw some folks get in there and kill the diesel market. They started really selling parts cheap, and they'd say, well, you know, MAP's this, but I'll sell it, you know, I'll sell it behind the scenes. Or, you know, yep. call me and I'll hook you up. And so people would come in, and it would seem like, you know, here's my perspective is that we would be working with a client on a auto repair issue and we would provide to them an estimate and they would come back and they would say, yeah, but I can buy this online and this online and I could present the value proposition. Mr. Customer, I know you can get that online cheaper. I completely understand. But what you need to realize is I'm not just selling you a part. I'm selling you a repaired automobile. 
And with that comes with a 36 month, 36,000 mile nationwide warranty. With that comes my personal support 24 seven. If you need something, you can get in contact with me. If something goes wrong, I stand behind it. If my warranty company won't, I'll cover the tow. I'll cover the rental car, whatever we have to do to take care of you. And really quickly, the value side of the scale begins to outweigh the price side of the scale. But what was odd for me is that when we talked about performance guys, they never switched that. They never saw it differently. It was like they were constantly just focused on price. They didn't care about value nearly as much. They were just getting online. And tell me if I'm wrong, I think forums and Facebook groups that really made these guys feel like they're true experts on their vehicle because they're so excited they want to learn about it maybe that contributed to it because they say, well, I could do that. I already know about all this. You just said the F word. (laughs) That's the forum is the F word in my shop. Anybody that starts off with hello. Well, I read on the forum that, uh, (laughs) you know, that, that already, that already indicates an issue. Um, Because you're right, there are internet experts out there. Uh, There's armchair and YouTube certified master technicians uh, providing their input everywhere. Uh, that may not understand the business side of things, may not understand, uh, hell, they cannot even understand the technical side of things, and they're giving people advice on it. Yep, absolutely. It's a shame. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I actually got kicked out of a couple forums years ago because I absolutely stood up and said, listen, you guys are giving false information. And, and one of the situations was um, on a CP3, uh, be it a, a Duramax or be it a... Um, Cummins, if you unplug the fuel control actuator, that thing will make 26,000 pounds of rail pressure or whatever until the overflow opens or the overpressure valve. And these guys were saying, yeah, if it won't start, what you want to do is unplug the fuel control actuator and crack an injector line. I'm saying that's a good way to get yourself killed or end up with an hydraulic injury. You know, I mean, we're, uh-huh. we're talking about something that could seriously injure somebody. And these guys are throwing it around like it's willy-nilly. And I'm like, dude, that's dangerous as all get out. What if there's another reason the truck's not starting? Um, so I, I definitely agree that the forums can be really bad news. Um, and I think it gives them this idea that they know way more than they do. And I think that makes it dangerous. I mean, I hate to tell you guys, but we see two to three trucks a month that have either been at another shop or that they are at a friend's house or the owner or client has been working on the truck. And when they come in and say something like that, we automatically start with a $500 testing fee. And they're like, what in the world? $500 to test this? Yes, sir. Because you've been working on it. I have to clean that up and it may offend some people. And of course I say it in a much more polite way, but I have to clean this mess up to be able to start at square one. If you just bring it to me to begin with, I'm at square one and I know where I'm going. I can usually fix your truck for a reasonable amount. But after you mess with it, boys, that's a different story. Yeah, when you have to, when you have to fix. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) I I don't start at 500. It's, it's 250 men. And I say, I'll call you as soon as we need more. Uh, Because we get, we, we've gotten here, especially lately, we've gotten a rash of they couldn't fix it at this shop. So we brought it down to you. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I had it yesterday. Car was at the dealer for four weeks for a, uh, cranking no start. 
and it came to me and it was it was towed in and it was gone in 45 minutes it was an immobilizer problem four weeks at the dealer unreal I was not even and I, I got I got I you know what I I don't know and I didn't care to ask the guy because it, it's tough to worry about what other people have done I typically say when they come in they want to give me a story I tell them you know what it's okay I have to start at square one so we're going to start at the beginning and we're going to go from there. If I find anything that has been messed up, I'll document it and we'll, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Did, Mike, do you know who Gonzo is? Gonzo. Yeah. Uh, from the Muppets? No, 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 no. I mean, <laughs> I, that, he might look at that and say that's a real compliment. Uh, Scott Gonzo Weaver from, uh, uh, I guess he's writing for Motor Age. I don't know who he's writing for now, but yeah. Scott, wrote a book and it had tales of the auto repair shop and one of the things that i'll never forget is one of his stories was the dog tales and he said you know it just seemed like everybody that walked through the door was over here preparing to tell him this whole long story about what was going on with the car and it was you know hey listen um you know my dog ran away and he's like, what in the hell does your dog running away have to do with your car? I need to know what your car's doing. I don't need a 45-minute story about what you've experienced today. I need to know what your car's doing. So, uh, yeah, I can definitely sympathize. Yeah. Well, have you ever heard of Occam's Razor? No, I've not. Sure. Occam's Razor is the law of parsimony, which basically says the simplest thing is probably what's wrong. So, Kiss comes from that. Keep it simple, stupid comes from Occam's razor. So when I hear it's always good to get a story, right? They told us and trained us, hey, get information from the customer, but sometimes the customer's information could get cloudy um, and throw in some variables and things that aren't necessarily needed, uh, like the dog running away and my mom's sick and this or that. Yep. So I usually say, you know, just leave it with me. Tell me what your customer concern is. I'll duplicate the problem and I'll, I'll go from there. Um, it's a little blunt uh, and it's said, like you said, in a nicer way, but sometimes we have to do that. Yeah. Now on the performance side, however, uh, sometimes we need a story uh, so we can figure out where the customer is probably lying or where Amen. somebody is mistaken, where the customer is mistaken. Uh, for example, Mark 7 GTI. Um, uh, the MQB platform of the newer turbocharged 2.0 Volkswagen Audis uh, have an issue with valve float. And it's very common for people to money shift those vehicles. Uh, so valve float does occur whenever they shift uh, to the incorrect gear and it ends up blowing everything up. So you get the car and you go to do a build. And then you find out that the camshaft with the pressed lobes has twisted whenever the valves and the pistons had met. Uh, they tend to leave out the part where they money shifted and caused that to happen, or they were in the middle of a race. And um, you end up find I found that out on a particular vehicle that brings up the story because they posted the race on Facebook. So I found out they were racing. I heard it blow up. And you heard the RPM scream when he shifted and he, he swore and he knew what happened. And all that was on Facebook posted by the person in the passenger seat. So that's how I had found out what had happened to the camshafts based on a Facebook video. Right. Well, and, and here's the thing is that that entire subculture of the automotive world looks at this completely differently 
than your standard client does, right? Most of the clients that come into my shop would never, ever think about saying, oh, uh, I'm going to have to lie because it might mess up my warranty, right? They, they don't care, right? It doesn't matter to them. And that subculture focuses so heavily on deceiving the the dealer in some cases or deceiving someone who's yes. worked on the vehicle. So, you know, they've made this mistake and now I can't really afford to fix the car. And I think it's important to recognize that. I don't think much of this is done out of malice, right? It's not that they're trying to be mean. It's not they're trying to rip somebody off or take advantage. It's You're 100%. they really can't afford the, yep. you know, the position they're in. And, you know, so I've got some clients who like to do performance work. We will do it for them. But I'm going to tell you something. Performance work in this shop is at full margin. And I explain. I'm more than happy to do it for you. This is what it's going to cost. It's not going to be as cheap as somebody else, but I'm able to stand behind this. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you want this experience with another shop who can't stand behind it, who won't stand behind it? They're just going to look at you and say, I don't know, man, it's not my problem. Or do you want to work with somebody who knows what they're doing, who's done this before? We can ensure that we get your truck fixed the right way the first time. We know what to do if things go wrong. And and th- the thing was, I had this buddy and, and he uh, owned a, a shop that did just performance work. And he got so frustrated and so aggravated about the fact that any Tom, Dick, or Harry could sign up mm-hmm. with one of these vendors and be selling parts. And maybe they weren't making these huge margins. Maybe they didn't have this great buy-in. But the reality was is that anybody could sign up, be selling parts, be working on these vehicles and act like or convey themselves as an expert. And and now we've got to clean up the mess. So I think it it's, you know, we talk all the time about who's your clientele? Who is your client? Who is it that you want to work for? Who is it that you're designed to work for? We got to be really careful when we're dealing with performance because, man, some of those expectations are mm-hmm. super unrealistic. Yeah, and that's usually due to misinformation spread on the internet that the customer reads. Um, that can be found just from a lack of lack of knowledge on the topic and what's going on with their car or people blowing smoke uh, to them, and then you tell them the real deal and they're hesitant to believe you. So that's tough. And then they have no relationship with that random person on the internet. That frustrates me too, because we, we had a, um, a long time customer, a very long time customer come in their Jeep Liberty it blew a hole in the block. It's a Jeep Liberty. It's what they do. And he was driving, blew the hole in the block, uh, dumped all the oil. They had it towed up to me and I said, Hey, you got to put an engine in this thing. And I priced out a remanufactured engine. Uh, you know, with everything attached to it and the whole thing. Uh, and it was like, it was close to $6,000 and, and they, they, they didn't respond immediately. We, you know, we sent the, the, uh, estimate via email and text and they didn't respond. The, the lady comes into the shop and she's like, why is it so much? And I'm like, well, it's a remanufactured engine. These engines are problematic. I can't use a used engine. I have no problem using a used engine. If it's the right year, make and model, um, I'll put a used engine in there, but this wasn't it. So, uh, I explained to her why we were looking to do a, a remanufactured engine and everything that came with it. And she's like, well, uh, you know, we asked on a forum and this guy said that I, you shouldn't be charging me any more than 3,500 and that $6,000 is just ridiculous. 
<laughs> and I stopped and I looked at her and I go, now, how long have we been doing business? And she's like, a long time. And I said, why would I lie to you? <laughs> what Do you really think I'm trying to get rich off this one engine that you're going to do at the shop? <laughs> she's like, right. no. I said, okay, then. Do you even know this person on the internet? She's like, no. I said, why do you even trust what he, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. I've explained to you why it's $6,000. Do you understand? She's like, yeah. And, you know, we left friend. It was fine. But, man, why would you trust? And I know that that person's saying what you want to hear. And that's what it ends up being. That person's saying what you wanted to hear. And, therefore, you're more likely to believe them than me who's telling you something you don't want to hear. But it's absolutely frustrating. Well, and and think of it like this. I mean, we have have long discussed the fact that we have an image issue. Uh-huh. in this industry, right? We know it. I mean, it it comes up every single day. It comes up when I'm talking to people within our industry. It comes up when I'm talking to clients. And and look, I completely understand why some people are untrustworthy. You know, it, it, there's a lot of shops who have done some things that are are just downright unbelievable. I've seen it. We've talked about it on here. I, I think a lot of that is due to ignorance. I, I don't think it's they intend to rip somebody off. I don't think necessarily people are trying to do the wrong thing in many of those cases, but the reality is it happens and that creates baggage. You know, I'm, I'm big with Rick White. He's, he's done a lot of training for us and Rick always talks about emotional baggage and every experience you encounter in an auto repair shop, you build some baggage and you build that up. And eventually, you know, somebody gives you this big estimate. What do you do? Well, I want to make sure this is accurate. I want to make sure that, that this is right. But the reality is, and, and we talk about price matching. We talk about how somebody across the country can't tell you if your price is accurate. You don't know what they're looking at. I mean, for God's sakes, we, we tell our service advisors, hey, make sure you go and understand why the technician's telling you it's going to be X hours. Because you don't know if it's rusty. You don't know if it's got custom modifications. You don't know what's happening with the car. And you mean to tell me some guy across the country can, can tell you how much it should be to fix this car? BS. Yeah, exactly. No shop exactly. across the street could tell you. I have to yeah. see the car. It's, it's just ridiculous. And the, and the shop down the street can't tell you what a good price is either because they have different expenses, different yeah. amounts of personnel, different overhead costs. I mean, everything is so specific. It's, it's what you need to charge in order for you to stay in business. And they're really, at the end of the day, doing business with you because they like you and they trust you. And then that's exactly. it. And, and no other reason because your price, your price is whatever it has to be. And I'm sorry, but the guy down the street can charge whatever the hell he wants. I there's a there's a shop less than a block north of me. You know he the the prices um, they're all in zeros. He charges a hundred dollars labor rate. It's one hundred dollars exactly, so it's one hour one hundred dollars. Um, he doesn't mark up his parts properly, and you know he always has a sign out front with discount alignments. And he does all of the used car work for the entire area. That's what he spends most of his time doing. Um, so customers will come in. We're like, hey, I was down a good deal. And they said this, that, and the other. And you're like, okay, I, I can't do what good deal does. They do them and then we do us. <laughs> I'm nowhere near what good deal is going to charge you. I don't use a lot of the parts that good deal is willing uh-huh. to use. I, I just don't like them. I don't trust them. So... 
you need to decide what's best for you. And I mean, they usually end up coming to us, but um, it's unfortunate that they end up having, they think it's an apples to apples comparison. Right. Right. And, and, and look, here's the thing when it comes to performance is they think the same thing when it comes to performance. And, and I have been known to lay it out in front of them and I'll put the numbers on the table and I'll say, look, you know, you've got three primary vendors in the diesel performance world and all of them here, here's their prices from these three places. I've spent 50, 75, a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand $150,000 with each one of these vendors. I've got about as good of buy-in as you can get with any one of them. Now, here's what my price is for this part. Now, I'm I'm charging you this, and I'm charging you this much install. Now, let, let's talk about this for a minute because you can see how much markup is in that part. It's not that much. Now, Mr. Customer, how would you feel if you pulled out of here um, and because of, let, let's say that I install a component incorrectly, um, there's damage to the vehicle. Let's say it blows a head gasket. And it's my fault. Now, we all know that's that's an unrealistic scenario. But I said, now, look here. If I only make this much on the job, how could I stand behind that? How could I protect you if I match this price for Joe Blow down the street who's selling you the part for $10 over what it costs? And he said, well, you couldn't. Right? That's my whole point. If I'm going to stand behind this, if I'm going to take care of you, we have to do this. And if you're not willing to work with me on that, then I'm sorry you can't get the level of service that I offer. If you want my level of service, it costs this. You can't compare the two. Let me ask you this, uh, Mike, because there's some in the in, in ASOG and, and in other forums that have talked about eventually going to charging retail for parts. Whatever it costs you, whatever it costs you at the parts store, at your local parts store, or or even whatever it costs you online, that's what we're going to sell you the parts for. But we're going to double or triple the labor rate. Now, of course, they don't tell that to the customer, but that's the model that they're looking at. And, and they see that as the future because of the amount of pressure or a pushback they get whenever they go to sell parts themselves. Everybody's questioning, why are you buying this, selling me this alternator for $400? I can go down to AutoZone and get it for 90 And so they, they have the solution to that, they see it as, well, fine, I'll sell it to you for 90 but my labor rate is now, you know, that insulation was an hour, so we're $125. Now it's 250 or $300 for the insulation, and I'll sell you that part for $90, and it is what it is. Is that a... Now, I don't prescribe to that in the general repair shop uh, world, but is that a viable option to mitigate some of that pushback you get because you are selling brand A downpipe and they can find it online for X amount of dollars? Can you double, triple, quadruple your, your labor dollars on that installation and then just sell them the part at whatever they're finding it online? Uh, I don't think we can do that in the performance world because there's not enough margin in that part for you to double, triple the labor rate. Now, I could see selling the part at cost and bumping up the rate a tiny bit. Uh, it may be semantics, but if we would like to do it that way, we can. Uh, it's it's newer. Um, you know, typically you want to make your money on both sides. 
But that's one of the reasons why there is a difference between the performance world and the general repair world, because there are better margins on the auto repair side than there is with the modification side. Uh, some t- it, in the end, it comes down to your customer. You know, you, you can't risk and lose everything just to gain that one customer that's arguing with you about the price of something. Sometimes some people are not your customer and you won't work well together. But, you know, now that you mention it, you know, we're living in an age where everything is instantaneous. Everything is online. Everything is, you know, online is setting precedence for things. So people are going to go by the online pricing, even though we try to tell them, listen, it's, you know, it's our service that you're getting. You're, you know, you're getting my support, you know, you're getting, you know, you're supporting a small business and we're going to be here for you all the time. And it reminds me of the. So you, you posted something like that very uh, on your Facebook page, and then you were probably just venting, but you posted it to your just normal Facebook friends. It wasn't to the shop owners, yeah. and mm-hmm. some of them supported you and said, yeah, you know, I agree with you, Mike. But there was one in particular, and I don't know if you remember this, but the, the guy called you out, essentially. He said, he it's said your value-based job. service. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's can. your job to to translate the the added value, the added cost in value to me. If I don't see the added value, you shouldn't be charging me. Or if you're not even providing the added value, you shouldn't be charging me that extra dollar amount just because you need to make money. That's not my problem. Well, what do you say to that guy? And I, I don't think I remember the exchange or even if you got into exchange, but what do you think of that? Well, that guy is a he is a customer and He's he has spent a lot of money with uh, with my shop. Yeah. So I think he was he wasn't necessarily attacking me as he was describing the uh, point of view that somebody would have in that aspect. But what I would say to that, because I said this to my fiance uh, who worked with works with me in the shop. And I said, Beth, I said, why does everyone think that we're not allowed to charge what we want to charge? Why do we have to justify our price to everybody? So everybody should, every other industry charges what they want to charge and barely anybody bats an eye, but auto repair has to fight for it so much. Why do I have to explain all these things? Now I understand providing value, the value proposition, showing people what you're getting for your money. But for a second there, I was saying, he's just, I was just assuming that he was saying, you don't, you don't deserve to charge what you charge unless you can really, really prove it to me and show me that it's my benefit. It was, it was tough. Well, look, from my perspective, from the outside looking in, I I think it's quite simply as an industry, we've done this to ourselves. We've created this monster. And, and, you know, look, I, I, there was a, there was a post the other day, Brandon deals. Um, good friend of mine popped up and he was talking about unifying our industry. And there was a list of people saying it'll never work. It'll never happen. You can't do that. And I'm like, and that is exactly why it never happens because everybody says you can't. So nobody ever tries. And, and I've long said that many of these organizations, um, like your garage owners associations, your auto care associations, and I understand why they don't. I'm not saying that that I don't sympathize with their position, but man, 
wouldn't it be cool if one of them kind of came together and said, hey, we all need to kind of get on the same page, even if 10% or 1% of shop owners in the country went in a singular direction. Think about it, what it would do for our industry. And, and you know, I look, I, I think that the reality of it is, is that the consumer is looking at us and saying, I just need the cheese, cheapest possible price. And I know every other shop in town, if I push on them, Right. They're not trained. They're not educated in many ways. I'll push on them and they'll bring their price down. Right. I just want the best price. They don't see value and they don't care about value from auto repair. And and that's because we've not educated them about what value from auto repair looks like and why value from auto repair is important and why it costs less in the end than it does if if, you know, you take it to Joe Blow down the street and you have to have it worked on four times. And then you've got corporate <clears throat> partners. Uh, who, you know, they go out and they scan the car and they say, oh, yeah, it's it's probably your oxygen sensor, you know, and and uh, really famous coach always says, you realize the parts store is in the business of selling parts, right? Yeah. Come on now. I mean, and they we've get done so, this and we've they, allowed They're so, it. like, they talk out of both sides of their mouths because they want to support the installer, but at the same time, they're really ambiguous about what the, the parts store guy can say and cannot say they, they should be providing clear language yes we're scanning your car no it is not a solution to the problem because it's it's not and i get that they're trying to sell parts but at, at the same time they should be viewing the installer as a much bigger opportunity than the one retail customer that they're going to get that one purchase from and then that's it and likely yep. install it incorrectly or not install the correct part or not diagnose it properly. And then they're going to be back swapping parts over and over and over again. You know, and welcome to the performance world, right? Welcome to the performance <laughs> world. You just nailed it. We don't need to say anything else. Episode over. We're done. We got this. And Sweet. and I, I, dude, I'm telling <laughs> you, quick one. I, I mean, Mike laid it out perfectly. And, and, and I think we have made every reasoning for why not to get into performance. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I, I, there's a local guy to me who builds hot rods and, and you would consider him a performance shop. And when folks take him a hot rod, he says, it's going to be two, three, maybe four years before I get done. And they say, okay. And he says, and we're going to start with a hundred thousand dollars. You know, where's your money at? <laughs> Bring me the money. And they don't say anything about it because he's built that reputation. He's educated those who are coming to him in regards to that. This is what to expect from me. I'm not going to work on your schedule. I'm not going to work on your budget. I'm going to tell you what it's going to take to do what you want to do. It'll be done right. It'll be a high quality product when I get done. But I set the rules, not you. Is, right? is that end the is that the answer uh -huh. then? To build the reputation? That's what yeah, that's what we did. That's what we did to communicate to the customers at the performance shop of, about what it was going to take. Now, I got to that point by trial and error, of course. So, oh, yeah, sorry puppy. That. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I like dogs yeah, better than people yeah, me anyway. Too. <laughs> me too. So, you know, and, and, and look, I, I think you're exactly right setting expectations and and you have to build a brand and you have to build uh yeah and that, that's what i'm saying is is building the brand is, is that what it takes is 
oh, I'm taking it to it what's does. it called? PSK? PSK Performance? So mm-hmm. I've got to take it to PSK yep. Performance because I saw the guy on YouTube and he was absolutely ripping down the track. Um, be, and because you showed your age a little bit, Lucas. It's not the horsepower TV or power TV or whatever it was called back in the day. It, it's all YouTube <laughs> videos and hours oh, upon know. hours and... of these guys clipping up the video of their installation and making it look like it was a pretty simple installation. They know what they're doing. Look, they're talking about it on YouTube and they have, oh, yes. you know, a million subscribers on YouTube and, and they get, they go down the track and they post these ridiculous times. That guy's not going to get questioned on his price necessarily. He's going to be like, Hey, did you check out my YouTube channel? Oh, uh-huh. well, great. I'm this price. Take it or leave it. Well, you know, and, and so the same thing happened in the, the diesel market. It was all hype, right? And and at the end of the day, here here's what comes of that. Because I've been there. I've done that. We had dyno days. We did the whole nine yards, right? It becomes exhausting. That hype and that following mm-hmm becomes exhausting you can't go to walmart you can't go to eat you can't go anywhere you can't do anything without somebody pointing you out of a crowd and and you know maybe that's not so bad but then every single thing you do falls back to that reputation you have to constantly guard that reputation you constantly have to feed that reputation and all it takes is a couple people coming back to say something bad about you or, or, or damaging yeah, that reputation to, yeah. in that you're having to pedal back through that. It's a lot of work to have that hype. And I'm going to tell you something. I think people are becoming more wise to that. They realize a lot of these people who had all this hype around them, man, they don't really know what they said they were, they were able to provide. They didn't actually provide it. They didn't actually have that knowledge. You know, you got a couple people like uh, Nelson Racing Engines. Boys, I mean, you can't argue with that kind of performance. Gary Javo, you can't argue with something like that. I mean, you look at it and you say, these guys really know what they're doing. You pick (laughs) up the phone and you call them and you say, hey, listen, I want you to put twins on my Viper. All right, $120,000, bring me the car. I'll have it done next year. What? (laughs) You know? Uh is that where we need to set ourselves up? And and I think there's got to be a proverbial shift within um, these smaller, low dollar, and, and I don't mean to say low dollar. That's not the right word. These smaller performance shops who are not yet Accessible prepared for what they're shops. getting in. Yes. Yeah. Accessible. They need yeah. to understand what they're getting into. It's not the same thing. Yep. Um which that can bring us to talk about something. We talk about, Hey, bring me a hundred thousand dollars. It'll take two years. And one of the issues that some performance shops have, they're started by younger people. They're started by people that may have been professional technicians, but were strong enthusiasts and they want to do it because they love it. And they're not business people and they go through these growing pains. But in the business world, here's something that I came across that was a struggle for me. Okay. So we would have a car that would come in with an Audi S4, and the customer wants to do suspension. They want to modify the engine. They want to modify the exhaust. They want new wheels and tires. They want to spend, let's say, fifteen dollars to $20,000 on this vehicle. So we're going to take the time to order all the parts. We're going to take the time to do the research, take the time to do what we have to do, make sure this part works with this part. That part can be... Uh, compensated with by the performance tune 
that the computer is going to get is the TCU going to need a tune to compensate for the engine tune because a lot of the European vehicles that we worked on were uh, DSG transmission. So we needed a tune to increase the clamping force pressure of the clutches uh, so that it didn't slip. So what happens is they take a down payment for the parts because for some reason they just haven't learned yet to get money for their labor. And then that takes time. And so weeks go by and then the shop is busy because all the projects take a long time and everything backs up and builds up. And they finally get the car done weeks later and then they think they're getting this big payday. Meanwhile, they lost, they had so many efficiency and proficiency problems that they had a hole that they had to fill. When that person finally paid the rest of their bill, they're back at square one. Because in the performance in the performance world, it's it's hard to quote beat time. It's hard to stay ahead, um, especially. And I focus this uh, situation on the small shops, okay, on the guys that started like me working daylight at a dealership and working nights in a little shop I rented until I started to grow my business. And those are the part of the growing pains. But the length of time it takes to perform a project versus what you can charge because of how competitive the performance industry is, is where a big problem lies. So people that want to open shops, they want to open performance-oriented shops. They really need to – you have to break the mold on the pricing and realize, like Lucas had said, about you know if you want my level of service, you have to pay my level of cost because – trying to compete with Joe Blow's tuning down the street, it's just a rate. It's another race to the bottom on a high end side of the, of the market. So that shop in the end may take in more money, but they didn't make as much, you know, they may see more money go in and out of the bank account, but they're no better off than the small break. Right. The, joint the down net the street. profit, right. Gross profit, net profit compared to where I was doing performance to where I am now. Is unbelievable, unbelievable the difference. I mean, I I could not look at performance and say under any way, shape, or imagination that I would ever be interested in going back. Never. So you said something about beating time, and you know, they, at least in our in the general repair side, that that's essentially what we're selling is we're selling blocks of time, right? And you waste an hour, like I can't resell that hour. I'm, it's that inventory is gone. We're screwed on that hour. Now we need to try to make it up somewhere else. So how do you bill out something like that? Because, you, yeah, you're, you're talking about there the research time. Yeah. You're talking about having the, the complications that come with having to. We've done a few, you know, modifications at our shop. Longtime customers that come in and they're like, hey, can you put a set of headers on my vehicle? You get into it and, you know, the headers are just, there's just a hair off and you've got to modify this and you've got to bend that and you got to, you know, and you may have bid whatever three hours for that job and it takes you five. Is billing like clock Look, time I, feasible? Is that not that's an option? My thing. That's what I do. That That's what I do. If I'm going to do it, I'm billing clock time. That's all there is to it. You, you have to, but the newer or younger or, le- or less experienced performance shop owners, 
are not going to do that. They're going to use the labor guide and they're going to get screwed the on the labor it. guide. So you have to you have to go Yeah, oh, yeah. So if you want to install a set of long tube headers on your Hemi, they're going to use the OE manifold replacement exactly. time. Oh, 1.5, 1.6 and the next thing you know, 3 days yep. later here you are wondering what went <laughs> wrong, you know? Yep. And and look at it, mm-hmm. it's happened to me. I think it happens to everybody that's in that. You, you've got to be billing actual time on job. And you have to, you know, and and there's no way to know what it's going to look like until you get into it in many cases. Now you've got these modifications. This has to be changed. This has to be adjusted. And and you can disclaim all you want to your client. But unless you're very experienced with this job and can say, hey, typically this takes me 10 hours for, a, you know, $100 an hour, you need to be prepared for this man, you're going to be in really rough shape. Um, you know, and I, I've talked to a lot of guys who paint cars and things like that and, and do performance work. And, um, you know, the ones who really care about the quality of the product, they're trying to put out this immaculate, amazing paint job. It's not cheap. It's not what you go over here and pay $35, $45 an hour at a typical body shop to, to accomplish. Right. These guys are really spending some hardcore uh-huh. time on that. And so I think it's it, you're looking at two different types of, of products, be it from a performance shop or the budget performance shop down the street. You're not getting the same thing. What does the typical performance shop do? Like your, your Joe Blow down the street who does tuning, is he charging book time? Yeah. Yeah. So the. That's wild to me. Your normal, your normal inexperienced owner, tuner, manager, they're going to be charging book time. They're going to be uh, beating the price down on everything to get the job in. Yep. Because, again, the market is very competitive. Now, so is auto repair. There's 10 shops on every street corner. But performance is worse because the margins are less. Exactly. And I, I can distinguish my auto repair shop. I, I can set myself aside with that, but when I'm when I'm uh-huh. really making the margins that I know my business needs to make with performance, it becomes very difficult in performance to distinguish myself. You know, I took on a job like a big dummy, um, and he is a fantastic client, good friend of mine, and he listens to the podcast, so um, he knows I'm talking <laughs> about him. Um, and he has this old Hudson, and he brought it in. He said, I've got some electrical problems. And I looked at it and I said, I think I can just put a starter solenoid in it. I said, okay, cool. I can do this. You know, it, it's, it's a, it's a uh, replica, if you will. And I crawl up underneath the dash and I said, oh shit, right. I'm in trouble. This is bad. So I tell him, I'm like, I'm going to have to rewire this thing. It looks like the wiring system is pretty simple. I'll get this cleaned up and and we'll go from there. And about the fifth wire that I traced that went from the right below the instrument cluster out through the firewall, around the front of the truck, around, came back under the firewall and came around the inside and hooked back to itself. When I was up to the fifth loop of wire like that, I said, I'm in trouble here, you know, and I probably had 125, 130 hours in this Hudson Terraplane rewiring it to do it the way I wanted it, to get it perfect, to get the wires branched out the way I wanted them branched out, to get the the loom into individual circuits like an OEM harness would look and, and 
connected correctly and rebuilding the gauges and putting all of this stuff together, how, how do you charge somebody for that at $125 an hour? Right? I mean, you can't. Right. And that's, that's the issue. I mean, and, and, and think of the liability with that because now he's got this vehicle that's a, it's a, you know, $80,000, $90,000 replica vehicle. And what happens when, I screw up and burn it to the ground when it leaves, right? I mean, I don't know that it's worth the hassle. I I get people like performance. I get people like fast cars and fast trucks. But from a business owner perspective, I will never believe that it's worth the hassle. I just can't see it. So is the problem the fact that that somebody will always bid, you know, $1,500 to rewire that vehicle and, and therefore no... Yes. Really? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. David, take this example, because this is the perfect example that infuriates me. Coilovers, coilover suspension. Mm -hmm. Okay. What is book time on the typical spring or shock on the, on a corner of any vehicle? An hour to an hour and a half usually, right? Two hours. Hour and a half max. Okay. So majority of the industry will still put coilovers on your car for $500 flat yep. with alignment. You know, you it's it's always a loss. So you you do a job that takes longer. There's a lot of fine tuning involved with it, setting your ride height, setting up your dampening correctly, um, putting together the coilover kit. If there's something that has electronic ride height control or it was a maglev car, you have to do coating. To the module if it was an electronic suspension there's all these things you have to do but everybody will do it for five hundred dollars yeah meanwhile on the auto repair side i charge somebody you know eight hours to put monroe struts on their car i would make more money doing a regular suspension on a regular car than i would putting a three thousand dollar set of bill steins on a fifty thousand dollar audi yep absolutely and and i hate we've got that exact kind of scenario in the shop right now guy puts a a lift kit on his girlfriend's jeep uh the control arms vary in measurements from three inches off to four inches off right and (laughs) and i mean like the whole front axle is turned sideways and this dude comes in here and bows his chest up i I installed it professionally i know what i'm doing um right we're gonna charge you basically the same amount of time we would have charged you to put a lift kit on it to take it back apart and get it to where we can align it right we're doing the job over because you did this and and they're like well you know we didn't want to spend that money to have you install it well at least if we'd have done it you know it would have been right to begin with well but that's expensive well then i guess you get what you get you know you get to spend the money anyway so yeah. what's the answer? <laughs> we're getting screwed all over here. We're not coming to a conclusion here. <laughs> Look, then, if, if, if here's the deal, I, I thought we had something with the hour thing, like you know, put because you get into a, a, a shop management system like a Shop Monkey or a Technetric or Shopware, you can actually show clocking times on the vehicle. You can see, hey, this person clocked in at nine o three. They clocked back out at one p.m. So we're going to charge you for that time. And this is, you know, they can take pictures along the way and show the progress that they made. Right. So there have been some jobs, there are some projects and some modifications where you can take that, you know, that time, you know, time spent 
you know, you clock in and out. Um, my one technician had a, he had a stopwatch and a time clock for those things. So he could, uh, it was a long-term project. So if he spent, if he spent two hours setting up a painless wiring harness, if he spent, you know, an hour designing the relay circuitry uh, or running the remote battery um, Mm -hmm. wires and setting up the battery box, we would always take that time and add it. There's some things where we can do that, but then there's the typical performance jobs. You know, if we're not talking custom builds every time, if we're talking headers on V8s, if we're talking downpipes on four-cylinder turbocharged cars, you know, the typical downpipe on a Volkswagen will pay 2.5 or three hours is what the book says, but you can only charge them an hour because that's what everybody in, in the performance world charges. So you'll an lose hour? that client. Yep. You'll lose that client to the competition without that. And yeah, you can make yourself stand apart, but that is the issue with the performance market is it's harder to do those things. So is there an ASOG for just performance shops? <laughs> I don't think there is. Um, there, there's a couple diesel performance groups, but I mean, they're not active. And, yeah. and you know, it, it comes back to many conversations. I, I'm telling you, it's a it's a different type of market. The the Many of the shops are far more competitive um, and you see far more um, kind but of. I would, I would make the argument that the general repair side is just is, is no different than that. I mean, I'm friendly with a few shop owners in Kansas City. I'm friendly with them. We talk on Facebook every so often. But, man, it's not that many. They're mo- most of them aren't online. They, they don't care. They have, no, they have no interest in connecting. They, they don't join organizations like the Midwest Auto Care Alliance. They don't, sh- they don't send. I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't think of any technician I've ever interviewed here since I've owned my shop for eight years that knew what vision was here in Kansas city. The vision show is in (laughs) Kansas city. And I don't think I've ever interviewed a technician. That's like, yeah, I was a Kansas. I was at vision last year. My shop owner that I'm currently working at always sends me. I don't think, I don't think I've ever interviewed it. I can't think of one off the top of my head. And, And that, and that's the general attitude of the shop owners in Kansas and I'm about to put everybody on blast here, but <laughs> I don't know that they listen. So, um, I, I, that's, it seems to be, at least seems to be in my mind, the, the general attitude of many of the shop owners in, in Kansas city, they just don't, they, they're trying to run their business. They're, they're trying to make a living for their family. And then that's it. They don't care about the, the larger industry. And mm. I mean, some of them are cutthroat. I mean, cutthroat. Mm-hmm. They don't care. They will, they will blast you to a customer on a whim. They will steal, try to steal every tech you've got. If it benefits them, they could give two craps uh, about you, uh, your your neighbor down the street. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like you, you could say that that's the performance world, but man, general repairs, I think just just as cutthroat. Yeah, and it's not just Kansas City. It's everywhere. That's everywhere. I don't know anybody. Lucas is the neck of the woods there. Everybody's buddy, buddy. They're hanging out every weekend and they're all on each other's boats. Uh, We have boats. Wait a minute. Who has boats? (laughs) Um, You guys are in the mountains. I don't know what you guys do in the mountains, but (laughs) it ain't right boats. Um, (laughs) 
Well, look, you know, and 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 we do have a lot of shops that get along very, very well. I I, I don't mean to to say we don't. There there are still, you know, we've got some who aren't interested in something like that. Um, I think performance is a little bit different because you add some different complexities to that relationship. You know, this person makes more power. It's a lot more cutthroat than auto repair is, is, is a general standard, if you will, um, because the prices are, are so much lower. I mean, the margins are so low. So I just think that in many different ways, performance just leads to heartache and poor profits. And yep. I, I mean, it can be done. I'm not saying mm -hmm. it can't be done, but I'm saying that it's going to be really tough to make it profitable and make it comfortable. What do I mean by that? You're not going to walk into this and, and be able to, to compete price-wise and still be profitable, still feed your family, still run a quality business and offer the, the type of service and, and service after the sale that I would want to as a shop owner. What about sectioning off areas like the paint stores do, like the paint manufacturers? So if you want to sell DuPont paint, they will give you an area and you are the sole provider for DuPont paint in that area. If they want to buy DuPont paint, they have to buy it from you. Same, uh, PPG is the same way. You can only buy it from the the uh, the supplier, the the selected supplier, and you can't come in all of a sudden and start offering uh, Chroma Base at a cheaper price because you're not authorized to even sell the product. Is that a viable option? Let me. I don't mean to interrupt, Mike. I'm sorry. Um, I just want to say that that. I'll, I'll go back to that fuel pump manufacturer we spoke about at the beginning that kind of undercut everybody. This guy would sell his soul to the devil for the right amount of money and not think twice about it. And and he owns a very large company, and he does have a boat. And I'm going to tell you right here and right now, this dude could care less about who sells his product. He he puts this charade around it, like, you know, minimum acceptable pricing, things like that. Listen, he doesn't care. It's not his problem in his eyes. That's your job as a shop owner. You'll never get the manufacturers behind it. It's like our, your training idea that we spoke about um, when it came to warranty and, and part sales. It ain't going to happen. Because you're not going to get them behind it. That's depressing, Lucas. Sorry. <laughs> well, so let me make it even more depressing. Something we've not talked about, something that we need to talk about, something that many people may not realize. Um, I just have performance in the name of my business. And every single time they do an insurance audit, they come in, they say, are you doing any performance work? Are the components that you're installing on an automobile uh, certified? Are they designed for this vehicle? Can you show me, right? So I was going to bring it up. I was going to bring it up. Oh, I beat you to <laughs> there it. You go. Look at me go. <laughs> what, what kind of liability are we facing? What kind of situation are we putting ourselves in when we make these repairs? You know, we saw diesel shops 
with massive fines for deleting trucks. I mean, fines uh-huh. that would make you sick at your stomach to realize you had just lost everything and they wanted their money now. What about the liability oh, yeah. side of this? It's a high liability. Uh, my insurance for my performance shop was multiple times more than my auto repair shop because of the liabilities. And it still didn't give me uh, perfect coverage. So with the liabilities that we have, man, from, you know, when you're tuning, uh, you've seen videos of many diesel trucks blowing up on the dyno and catching fire and fuel leaks and, and turbochargers coming apart and scattering and transmissions scattering and coming apart and blowing out the side of the door. There's a lot of dangers involved, and some insurance companies just will not insure you if you do performance work. And if you do, it's going to cost you. And you need to consider that when you're coming up with your pricing and you're thinking about your overhead. Uh, proper insurance is expensive for a performance shop. Yeah, definitely. So you have to pay extra in performance in insurance. You can't make any money on parts. You can't charge appropriately on labor. The guy down the street is going to cut your throat. Is mm-hmm. is the allure just the fact that you get to what drive a uh, second owner clapped out S seven with uh, coolant leaks <laughs> really fast for about ten seconds? I don't I don't understand. What's the allure? You know, there is an egotistical side to the performance market. And that's where, when we were talking earlier about how the shops are cutthroat and they don't get along, a lot of performance shops do not get along with each other because of the competition, because of the egos, because of the puffy chests. Yeah. You know, um, it's kind of everyone for themselves. Not, you know, and like you said, your shop owners around you couldn't care less about you. They don't want anything to do with you. They'll they'll undercut you, but it's hard to explain. There is something different in the performance side. Oh, I went to this shop and they only got this much power out of my car. I went to this shop and my car rattled after I left, or they charged me this much and they they only charged that much. In the performance side, it's just it's more and that spreads on the forums like wildfire. It spreads on social media much quicker than anything in my auto repair shop would. Uh, the performance side, you can just tell. There are many more stresses on the performance side. And I can actually give you guys a bit of my personal story uh, regarding my performance shop. Yeah, go ahead. So this 2020 was a hard year for everybody. Okay. Um, myself included big time. So in 2020, uh, I lost my mom in July. She died of cancer. And I had my performance shop and my auto repair shop uh, going full bore. We were very busy. The performance shop was two months behind in work. And it was a very, it was a very stressful time. So simultaneously, when all of this was going on, a lockdown, busy businesses, you know, sick family, I got sick and it turned out that I was having some heart problems. So I go to the doctor and they tell me I have abnormal EKGs and I have to go get stress tests and nuclear testing done on my heart. And my doctor says to me, you need to make a life change. You are too young 
Now, I'm certainly not a very fit person. I'm six foot, 300 pounds. I'm certainly not in, super healthy. But she said, you're too young to be having the heart problems that you do. And we were talking and I talked about all the stresses that my businesses bring me, but it did all, a lot of it went back to the performance shop. Okay. Um, the efficiency battles, um, the customer battles, the fighting with the cars, the, you know, busy, but you know, why is the business not doing as well as it should? It's because the money's tied up in all of these projects. So then we finally get paid, but we pay our bills and then the money is gone again. So I looked at Beth and we had a discussion. I called my, my father. I, I got his advice and I had decided to close my performance shop. And actually, uh, Lucas, I had a short conversation with Rick mm-hmm. as well. And that was one of the things he had brought up. And we decided to close the performance shop because I was being affected. My health was being affected by the yeah. stress I was under. Now, my situation is different because I had two auto repair shops. And I was very fortunate to have a very busy and well-known auto repair shop. My performance shop was very busy. Uh, the phone rang 50 times a day. You know, our schedule was months out. Cars were everywhere. But in the end, it was also a mixture of my long-term lease on that building was up. And I owned I owned my, my property and building for my auto repair shop. I bought that uh, a year and a half ago. And I haven't been healthier and happier since I've done that. Amen. Amen. And so and is it, is the performance side just general repair? Or did you just close that whole side of the business down? So PSK Performance is closed. Okay. My other business is PSK Auto Repair. That business is open. Now what I've done is I've cut out all the heavy line work. I've cut out the transmission building, the engine mm-hmm. building, all of the major things. What I've kept is very easy um, and very profitable. So I I went and I, I picked and I chose the services I wanted to perform at the auto repair shop, which is less equipped and is smaller than a performance shop was. But that's how it goes. And I've decided to keep some performance things that I know is easy and that are good money. There's very few select things. And I've decided to have my my general auto repair shop, but still be able to do some performance. Okay, very slight. Some of my tuning capabilities, I do Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche, Lamborghini, and Bentley. So some of those things I I still do. But my large, busy performance shop that did everything from custom builds, custom wiring, custom suspension, custom transmissions, custom tunes, I closed it. Wow. And I know that we, it, and it wasn't about the money. Now, money is a struggle in the performance industry because of what I said. You know, unless you take, unless you really can charge properly for what your business needs, which is rare in performance shops, yeah. you're going to struggle with money constantly. You're going to be in debt constantly. You're going to borrow constantly. Um, that kind of stuff does happen in the performance world just because of the, the flow of projects. So I know that one of the goals of the podcast was probably to determine, is having a performance shop a good idea? 
And it's very rare that it works out without costing you, without costing you more than just money. For me, it was my health. Yep. You know? And, and I don't know many owners of performance shops that aren't stressed to the max or aren't looking for an out one way or another. Now that they're, they're very, very proud people, right? They won't tell you that. Um, but many of them are pushed to the absolute max and, and it is a big ego thing. And it's an ego thing to say that we can fix anything. We, we don't have any problems. We can tune anything. We can fix anything because that is this misconception that we have to be this master. We have to have these abilities, especially we're in the shop and, and we want to portray how great we are. And, and look, I've been there and I'm going to tell you something. We, we took a very similar path, except I just converted the shop I have from performance into auto repair. And I'm going to tell you, when I started making that transition, you know, Rick talked to me, he said, Lucas, he said, your, your hours per RO is 36. He said, that's unheard of. And, you know, the problem is, is that all of these jobs, you're getting these jobs apart. You can't get them back together because something has to be changed. You have to get this other part. Something went wrong. Then you get it back together. It's a high liability job. It's super stressful. All of these things are coming together on you and converging, you're super stressed out and you're not really generating any money. And I said, okay. And he talked to me for months about saying, look, just charge this matrix, set up a matrix, be 60, you know, 52 to 60% on parts and charge book hour and charge an appropriate labor rate, right? Because at the time we were 65 an hour. And he said, <laughs> watch and see what happens. And I, I've resisted that for so long because I kept saying, we won't have any work. We won't have any work. Now our ARO is, is 1100 bucks. We're at four and a half hours a ticket. We're working on more cars with way less liability than we ever did with these big jobs. We're making more money. It's less stress. We don't have stuff sitting for days. If you ask me, would I go back? Hell no. Hell no. And, and I, can't, <laughs> I get that there are people. I, I, I think we've even got members in the shop who are 100% convinced that, that, you know, look, performance is the way to go. Performance is the way to go. I really like that. I understand if you guys don't like it. The problem is, is that there are too many odds stacked against you. You can build hype. You can build a brand that works. But, man, I'm going to tell you. It is a hard road to hoe if you go that route. It's not as easy as general repair. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Amen. <laughs> and you know what's bad so, about that? It's general repair is pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think yeah. a lot of technicians, like my, I've got a technician who's, he, he watches all the YouTube videos and he's hardcore into performance stuff for his own personal vehicle. And, you know, he's always, he's always asking me, he's like, Hey, we should do more performance work. We should do this, that, and the other. Uh, and I, you know, I've resisted it. I'm like, no, dude, I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. We, we can't get, we can't get these cars out of here fast enough as it is. The last thing I want to do is add complexity to the, to the, to the equation. Um, yep. 
but but I think a lot of technicians, like I definitely got into automotive repair because I wanted to tune cars. I wanted to do the performance work. I wanted to be able to know what I was doing while I was doing it. Um, and I, I think that's still true. I think a lot of technicians get into the field or they think that that's the, the, uh, the end game. Like if I just had this shop that was tuning all day and, you know, building these awesome cars, everything would be peachy keen. I wouldn't have to work on these clapped out cobalts, uh, leaky, you know, messy Chevrolets that are rusted out and, uh, uh, they're not as cool as working on that S7, but hopefully this podcast will, uh, will bring them to reality. <laughs> Listen, you only need 1000 horsepower diesel pickup to realize that you don't need a thousand horsepower diesel pickup because you'll end up in jail. I don't know <laughs> where that came from, but you know, um, it wasn't the jail part that was hard for me. I, I, I was able to talk my way out of most of those scenarios, but do you know how expensive anything that makes more than 999 horsepower is? I mean, that the, you, you hit that thousand mark, things start getting very expensive. Unreal. Yeah. Yes. Well, this was awesome. And, I, and Mike, I didn't realize you closed the performance shop down, so this was kind of uh, eye-opening. I thought you still had both shops open. No, I wanted to. Uh, I actually wanted to bring that up uh, for the reasons of, you know, having a performance shop is a challenge, and owning a business and operating a business is hard enough. Yeah, but performance adds a whole new level. So I'm hoping that if any. Anybody, I know all the people on ASOG are, they're going to say, well, finally realize what we all think. Performance stinks. <laughs> but for any of the younger people that are on ASOG that don't participate in the, you read the comments, they don't post. And, you know, they're, they're wondering what they should do because they still love cars and they have a passion for it and a passion for performance. Because you love it doesn't mean you have to do it every day. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, you can make money fixing cars because, again, like I said in the beginning, most people that specialize in performance are very good with these particular systems, so proficient to the point that they can make them better. So they can do a great job fixing the cars in auto repair, making more money, working less. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast along with the work of ASOG, just go to our website, asog.site, that's A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E, and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a patron gets you several perks, supports the podcast, and is entirely tax deductible. That's because ASOG is a 501c3 educational charity. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It helps spread the word. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel and hitting that like button. 2020 was a tough year for everyone, especially Lucas, who at one point completely ran out of toilet paper. The like button offered help by sending over some, but when Lucas opened the package, it was that awful gas station one ply. Get some justice for poor Lucas by hitting that like button. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you have any topic suggestions, please reach out to me via email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D 
at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.